Wonderful. Really nice to hear the chatter. Always Sorry to break into the conversation, but hopefully you can pick up from where you left off after the service. We will have tea and coffee and other refreshments. I hope you can join us and uh, share fellowship with us. And uh, it's good to hear from Jordan and Natasha and uh, have them. They've been great servants of ours over the last few months and um, say it in the right way. We look forward to sending them off. And uh, many of you can appreciate, appreciate what it's like to move to a new nation. Some of you have only been in the UK for a very short period of time. And uh, we pray God's blessing on you as you settle over here in this wonderful city of Birmingham. <laughs> Me and my good wife have been here in, uh, for two and a half years. And I've I, I resisted, resisted within all my sermons not to break into my Birmingham accent. And I'm still resisting it, still working on it, but one day it will just pour out, I'm sure. So release uh, Jordan and Natasha at the end of uh, July. And I remember when I was at Bible College, I went to Bible College when I was about 19, well, I was 19, and um, one of the lecturers there, the general studies lecturer, was a little bit kind of out there. He's a little bit straight. He was a little bit blunt. He would say as it was. So I remember there was a couple of students there, male and female, uh, during our year, um, asked to meet with him. So they met with him and they said, we feel as if God is telling us to get married. And he says, well, what's the problem then? And um, they says, well, we don't like each other. So he says, he says, well, don't be stupid then. So that is kind of his approach to, to life. He, he was quite straight. And I remember him standing up in a lecture once and saying, um, do you know that you need a stronger calling to stay than to go? And then he went on to say, because the world is so big that you need a stronger calling to stay than to go. Now, he was trying to stir things up because we're all Bible college students. And when you're in Bible college, the lecturers just know what stirs up students and gets things that are a little bit controversial. And I've thought about it over the years. And not that I've concluded, but I think it's true that we have just a stronger calling to stay than to go. The point is that God places us where God places us. And his calling and his purpose for us is just as big as to whether we go or whether we stay. And I'm sure that Jordan and Natasha won't mind me saying that, that that calling is just as strong for us, that God has a purpose for us. And God can use all kinds of different talents and abilities that he has given us. It's no accident that if you are based in Birmingham, that we're in Birmingham. There's no accident there. And God can use our different talents and callings here. So for the short time that I've got, we're not going to kind of not going to speak quite as long as normal. I'm going to look at how the early church went about a little bit of talent spotting. And uh, one of my favourite 
passages in the book of Acts is Acts chapter 6. So we're going to read a few verses from the start of Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. I've got so much out of this passage over the years, because it's a passage that kind of, in the history of the early church, it kind of kind of fits, but doesn't fit in the flow of what is going on. But we'll unpack that over the next few moments. So chapter 6, verse 1. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews um, among them complained about the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Now this proposal pleased the whole group. Uh, They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. They also chose Philip, Prochorus, Nicana, Timon, Perminus and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So the start of this particular passage, they want to make clear that the number of disciples was increasing. It's important to note. So this was kind of a revival breaking out in Jerusalem as God had planned. But then it introduces something, an, in, an issue that was going on in the early church that the Grecian Jews had complained that they were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food, food um, because the Hebraic Jews were getting all the food. They were being served. So what was going on here? So who were the Hebraic Jews? Well, these were these. These were Christ followers. They were brought up in Jerusalem, and uh, they had believed the gospel and were following Jesus. They spoke Aramaic, probably, as Jesus did. They were quite localized to Jerusalem. They were getting fed well. Then the Grecian Jews were Jews. They were also followers of Jesus, but they were probably from outside of Jerusalem. So they, since the start of the church, had moved into Jerusalem. They'd learned that Jesus was the Messiah. They'd been greatly impacted in Pentecost because all the known Jews kind of came at Pentecost. Uh, And they were also part of the church, but they probably lived on the outskirts of the church rather than centrally, and they spoke a lot of different languages. That's why Pentecost was so good, wasn't it? Because they understood in their own languages, but even though that they were Jews, they probably didn't speak Aramaic. So a lot of them were probably far from home, sacrificed much to follow Jesus and to be part of the church, And it was felt that it was unfair that it was the locals' widows that were being fed, fed, that were being brought up locally, but those that from outside were not being fed and resourced in the same way. 
Do you get that? Nod at me if you get it. Nod anyway, it just makes you feel better. That's really good. Now, there wasn't a benefit system as we have today, and, but there was a, clearly a system in place for some of the widows, but not for all. And the Grecian Jews were thinking, well, we, we are as much part of the church as these local people, therefore we should be served in the same way. Now, as a pastor, as I read through the book of Acts, this passage kind of encourages me. Now, it encourages me that we read of all these people that are getting saved, but it also encourages me as a pastor that some people complain. Now, this is an encouragement. Now, we're not, I, I don't feel in any way I'm part of a complaining church. But when you read in the book of Acts that some people complained, something was overlooked, some people were neglected, not everything was right, it's kind of reassuring. Because everything else in Acts looks as if everything is perfect, doesn't it? But it's not the only verse in Acts that encourages me. But not everything was perfect. But why is this recorded in Scripture? Because it seems a little bit out of place amidst, amidst this revival. That some widows were not getting properly cared for. Now this was clearly important because it says that the, the 12 gathered the whole church together to look at how they were going to respond to this. It wasn't that the 12 had a kind of elders meeting or a committee meeting. It says that they gathered the whole church to look into this because people were not being fed. But also, I think they recognized there was the danger of disunity between two people groups from the Hebraic Jews and the following Christ, because they're kind of mostly Jews that had become Christians at this point, Gentiles a little bit later, and the Grecian Jews. So there's a, there's a danger of division. In fact, division was kind of beginning to mount. But I think it is clear that one of the main reasons that this passage is, is, or this incident is recorded in Scripture is because there was a danger of the apostles being distracted from the mission. Because, like I said, you need to note what it says right at the start of the passage because it says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, this is important. We want you to know this is what was going on at that time. People were becoming Christians left, right, and center. In verse 2 it says, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word to wait on tables. So it's so important that the gospel continues to advance, particularly at this moment in time. So if it was not handled well, people were going to be neglected. If it was not handled well, there was a danger of being disunity. And if it wasn't handled well, then the advancement of the gospel could be, or the effectiveness could be reduced. Yet it was handled well. People's needs was met. It counteracted this potential for disunity and the devil getting a foothold there. And it also, we read at the end of the passage, it says this, then the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So because this situation was revolved, that the gospel advanced, and we see people, priests, when he talks about priests, 
coming to, the, coming to Christ, he's talking about how those that were clearly opposed to the gospel are even becoming Christians because the gospel is continuing to advance. And that's why this is recorded in Scripture. So previously, there'd been this potential... You know, previously, when we read in Scripture, in the Acts, about the potential hindrance of the gospel through uh, fear or through persecution... What did the disciples do? They spent a lot of time praying, and that's important. That's why we have uniting prayer times. It's very important that we come together to pray. In Acts chapter 4, when there was a danger because of persecution of not being bold enough to take the gospel out, they prayed, it says, with one voice, and the place shook, and, and God kind of really encouraged them and empowered them to go out and to share the gospel uh, even more. But here, something different happens, here people step up in order to serve. And that is what continues this advancement of the gospel, is people stepping up to serve in very practical ways. So they chose seven people in order to deal with this, and a lot of people got involved in dealing with this feeding program. Now, there's a lot for us to learn. I did say, I did promise, I'll be speaking shorter. I did mean that. But there's five things that we can pick up very quickly from this passage that I think is encouraging for us as believers and the part that we can play. So it helped in its own right. So people, these seven stepping up and serving practically, served in its own right and met a need in its own right. We can assume from what was said that all the widows within the church were fed and that situation was dealt with. And churches, we have a missional focus and we can serve in many different ways but John Maxwell says this, you are most valuable where you add most value. You are most valuable where you add most value. So there's so many different ways within church life that we can add value and can contribute to the advancement of the gospel. And some of them is serving in very practical ways. Now you might have looked on the platform today and seen the just wonderful, good-looking musicians and singers and, and stuff like that. And it's not wrong to have that kind of aspiration but we also need to accept that the gospel advances through people stepping up to serve in so many different ways. And we kind of narrow that down sometimes. Think, I must be this or I must be that. But here we see needs being met was very powerful. And God can use all of our natural talents. You don't have to be a great singer to serve. We can serve in many different ways. And, and God sees our talents. And one of the most kind of popular people in my previous church was a guy called Ray. And he was a plumber. More people phoned him than phoned me. For help, for ministry. I mean, if they got a flood in there, I mean, I could have prayed... They didn't kind of text me and say, Phil, do you pray? They would text me and say, have you got Ray's number? Because <laughs> he could do something about it. And I think I mentioned a story. There's a church in, near London called Ichthys Fellowship, and a friend of mine was one of the Bible teachers there 
guy called Ken McGreevy, and he was telling me that one Christmas, um, the local police inspector phoned the leader of the church, Roger Forster. And the reason he'd, he'd been phoned by the police, because the police didn't know what to do. They needed a plumber. Now, Roger was not a plumber. He was a pastor. Pastors don't make great plumbers, let me tell you that. If you've got a flood, ring... I was going to say Isaac, but he's a pastor. So, And, and it was great, because... because what happened was is that the policeman phoned this uh, Roger Forster and he, and he said, we just got a phone call from this lady and uh, she's got a flood in her kitchen. She doesn't know what to do. All the plumbers are off for Christmas. Do you, do you know somebody? And in his church, Roger's church, there was a plumber who was prepared to go out on Christmas Day and to fix this lady's flood pipe. And I'd like to say that this lady was so impressed that she started going to the church because of this. But she didn't. But her daughter did. Which is great, isn't it? And we can use our practical gifts in their own right. We are most valuable where we add most value. Secondly, it also releases others into effective ministry. So what these seven did... The reason it was impactful in the long term is because it released the apostles to continue to do what apostles should be doing and the evangelists should be doing. Because it said, didn't it, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Now the apostles were not prima donnas. They weren't show us, but they just knew what their primary gifting was and what God had called them to do was to prayer and the ministry of the words. I'm sure they help practically in many ways as well. And, you know, it's amazing. that. Let me say this. This is so important. The people rising up and serving within a church in practical ways releases so many other people to use the gifts that God has given them and the anointings that God has given them. And, but if, some, if a few people seem to be doing everything, then they might not be concentrating on the things that really primary call to minister in. They reckon, don't they, that in any organisation, that it's usually 20% of people doing 80% of the work. I don't think that's the case here, but they reckon that in any organisation, that is the case. But here we pick up from Scripture that that is not what's supposed to happen within a church. We've all got a part to play. Now, there's different times, there's different seasons, but there's different things that we can do. I remember mentioning, I think, that uh, one church I was a part of, and um, I, was, I was leading the church at the time, and the people who were organizing the communion, the bread and the wine, had stepped down after about seven years. They'd done a great job. Great job. But it was time for them to step down. And there was nobody else to do it. And I just felt I should do it because there's nobody to do it. And um, so I did it over two or three months. We had communion once a month. So I did it two or three times. And clearly I did it badly. <laughs> because a couple called David Hillary, after the third attempt, says, Phil, we'll do it. 
And do you know what was so releasing after that? They, they didn't just say, Phil, you're doing badly here. They said, Phil, just leave it with us. Just leave it with us. And that, that was just so releasing. It might not seem a big thing, but it's so releasing. Now, it's not as if they'd had some calling from heaven to do the bread and the wine, but they just knew it was a privilege to do it. And uh, we kind of honour and thank King Kayla for doing that for us on a regular basis. We do appreciate you doing that, but it releases other people. Thirdly, we, we pick up, and you've probably picked up by now, it doesn't have to be a main ministry. It doesn't have to be a main ministry to find a place in order to serve practically. And this was the, the case with Stephen and Philip, two of the seven, because we know that they were evangelists. We know that they were evangelists. We know that they served in many different ways. Now, we know that there's a time for everything, there's a season for everything under the sun, so we all have to join up the dots when it comes to this, but to step up and to serve practically. Now, as a pastor, I get to see a lot of what goes on within the life of the church, and it's a privilege to see some of the things that people do that that really go unnoticed, that really go unseen. And I just want to pay tribute. I could pay tribute to many people. And the problem with pastors, if you start to thank people, then you're always missing people out. But occasionally, it's good to thank people, isn't it? And this morning, I would like to publicly thank Carol. I'd like to publicly thank Carol. I don't want to embarrass Carol. I've probably already done it. I'm sorry, Carol. But I'd probably want to thank Carol. And you're probably thinking, Why? Well, over these last 18 months since we come out of COVID, just about every Tuesday morning, every Tuesday morning except about one or two, our toddler group's been on, and it was quite small. Every Tuesday for three or four hours, three hours, Carol has been here sorting out the refreshments, sometimes single-handedly, putting a lot of time in, and... I've noticed that over the period, this last year, it has gone from a handful of children and parents to 30, 40, 50 children and parents on a Tuesday morning. Now, Carol might not, she might be gifted in many different areas, but I've noticed how significant that has been, and it wouldn't have happened if she'd not been here. That's not to put people to feel bad that they're not doing it, but it just shows the significance that practical help can give in releasing the purposes of God within any church congregation. And Carol, we do, we do honour you for that, and, and we do thank you for that. And we know that people serve in all kinds of different ways which we could name, but it just shows how releasing and how true this scripture is that people serving practically can... Re- can release others to advance the kingdom of God. So it doesn't have, always have to be your main ministry. Just find a place to serve, and God will lead you from there, from one thing to the next. Fourthly, with these seven, there's a commitment to the task. I'm not going to say a lot about this, but in chapter 6, verse 3, it says, Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we will, we will turn this responsibility over to them. So they had these great credentials uh, that they were full of the Holy Spirit, they were full of wisdom, but also they were reliable. 
And the Bible says, doesn't it, serve the Lord. Or with everything we do, do it as if we're serving the Lord. Not that he's watching and we feel bad if we're not doing it well, but because we're doing it because we want to honour him. And these were reliable people that were put in charge of this particular task. And fifthly and finally, there was a sense of being chosen. There was a sense of being chosen. Brothers choose seven men from among you. Now, if I was the sort of pastor that went around choosing people, nobody would answer my calls. Because they were thinking, Phil is getting in touch, what does he want? Now, I do find that anyway when I text people and say, oh, do you fancy a coffee and want to catch up? And um, they always think, what does he want? What is he after? I'm not after anything. Just need a coffee. (laughs) Now, Stephen had three kind of ministries evangelism, waiting on tables, and martyrdom. Which would you like me to choose for you? (laughs) The thing about Stephen is I think that he was available because he already knew he was chosen. He already knew he was chosen. Jesus says, isn't he, you didn't choose me, but I chose you to go and bear much fruit. And there's a sense that we should already, already feel chosen. It wasn't a case of whether he was going to serve. It was only a case of where he was going to serve. And I know even for me, and there's times in our lives when there needs to be a change in the weather. whether we're going to serve. It was only a case of where. How willing are we for God to speak to us afresh? How willing are we to notice something that we can help and serve with? It doesn't have to be a dramatic call. It could be aware of a need or a little bit of a nudge. So this choosing of the seven, the needs were met. They continued in unity and that there was a continued advancement of the gospel. And it said at the end, so the word of God spread. The numbers of disciples increased and a large number became obedient to the truth. We're going to pray in a moment. I'm going to invite the band up to come and join me. And uh, they'll lead us in one song in a moment. We're going to pray first of all. So while the band uh, come and get ready, why don't we stand together, if we're able. Why don't you join me in standing, and we'll pray. This passage is in there for a, a reason. And like I say, that we, we have to join up the dots. You know, any Sunday morning when we preach, we just encourage people to say, Lord, what are you saying to me? Are you saying anything to me? Allow God by his spirit to join up the dots for us because we're all different. There's different seasons, different opportunities for us. Let's pray together. Let's just close our eyes for a moment. And maybe within our hearts quietly, we want to 
before we pray, be thankful for those who serve in so many different ways and thankful for the opportunities that God has given us to serve in so many different ways. Maybe you're a new Christian and beginning to serve. Maybe you've been a Christian for many decades and served in many different ways and you're just thankful that God gives us a a purpose beyond being comfortable or just living for ourselves or even living for our own families. God has this great purpose for us. And here in Encounter Church, we greatly appreciate the part that people play in serving in and through the church. And we pray God's blessing on each individual, that they'll know that great fulfillment and sense of belonging in serving in whatever way that God calls us to serve. And in Ephesians 4, it says this, From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And I know some folks here are in a position where you're new to this country and I pray that you find a, a fellowship and a church where you really feel as if you can flourish. That you can feel settled, you feel supported, feel that you can grow and also feel that you can play your part brings a great sense of belonging to be part of something and pray God's blessing as you look to be part of something. And for those of us who are part of Encounter Church, I pray God's blessing on you over this next season to have that sense of fulfillment and delight of what it means to feel that God is using us and being part of this, this, this team that God has brought together. Father, we do commit ourselves to you. We commit each other to you, Lord. That we'll be open-hearted, we'll be open-minded, we'll be open-spirited, Lord. We'd have a sense of what you're saying to us, Lord, how you're nudging us forward, how you're laying on our hearts things that are on your heart, Lord, for us to get involved in. And Lord, we do thank you for all those who do play such a big part within the church. And pray, Lord, those who to lead our children's work, our youth work, our students' work, and all the different ages, all the different groups, all the different mission initiatives, all those that serve practically. We pray for your grace, Lord. We pray for your encouragement. We pray for your blessing, Lord. We pray for your strength. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.